Well, hey, and welcome to episode 15 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krisma, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss how to respond to the different types of suffering that we experience, if and how we can lose our inheritance in Jesus, and how we find hope, though we were once enemies of God. As always, if you haven't yet listened to Sunday's message, I really encourage you to jump on our app, website, or just go to YouTube and watch it there. Well, without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Well, hey guys, happy Monday. How are we doing? Good morning. Morning. I'm pretty good. Feeling all right. Yeah. So here's a question. Kick us off today. Um, how how would your life look different if you woke up tomorrow morning having won $1.9 billion? I think I think what you mean to ask is how will your life look different? Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Believing that for it? Is yes. that what you're doing? I am proclaiming it. I'm speaking it. I am believing for it. Yes. So obviously, this is front of mind for a lot of people. As the what? What is it? The, it's the Powerball. The Powerball. I know nothing about the lottery. So whatever that means, that's nationwide. Is that right? Not every state. It's like everyone but four, I think. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of states have the Powerball. Yes. So big old, big old jackpot. One point nine. Is it the largest it's ever been? Is that the I thing? I think that's it. Is yeah. that why everyone's talking about it? Yeah. Is it? Is it the biggest? I thought there was a pretty big one not too long ago too. Billion. No, there was a billion one too. One point nine. The billion. I mean, yes. I, I know what a billion is. You keep <laughs> saying it like I don't know what that means. Yeah. No, I think it is the biggest. But I don't know. The Google's probably knows. Google it up. That's a Jason Price word. I mm-hmm. Google it up. I uh, I don't want any part of it. Yeah, Josh doesn't want it. I'm going to be honest, man. I just know the evil that rests inside of me, and it already wants some walking around money. I don't need to give it. <laughs> I, just, I don't need to give it any, man. Like, I, I just, it never ends well for people. Like, so many of the stories documented are people who are broke afterwards. And I don't need all these people coming out the woodworks calling me. I got some family, I'm sure, somewhere that's going to hear about it and they're going to be blowing my phone up. And I just, yeah, I just know, like, again, would you be able to do some things? Of course. But ultimately, like, would then your, I don't know, man, Jesus said it's, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. That has to be something in my mind that goes, oh, I don't know, man. I'm already dangerously rich mm-hmm. in our like we talked about the other day. I, but that we had this conversation with the boys about being poor or being rich or something. And yeah, I was like, no, boys, we are rich. We oh, are very sure. much rich. So yeah, that is a amount of money yeah. that terrifies me. So Josh doesn't want to do anything good for the world. Jason, what about you? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm going to buy Twitter from Elon. <laughs> You know no, what I looked kidding. at this morning? Because I, I was thinking about this conversation. I was like, oh, you know what? The Suns are for sale. You <laughs> couldn't even buy the Suns. You could not I buy couldn't the buy the Suns for, for $1.9 million. Are there $4 billion? Uh, 2.5 is what they're estimated at right now. And I was like, that is an insane amount of money That's for a sports That's an insane team. amount of money. Okay. So, sorry, go ahead. So, this, so, I shared this with my life group last week. Like, So, last Sunday, I'm preaching this message about being heir of the world and how we get more excited thinking about, you know, inheriting Elon Musk fortune than we do the guarantee of being an heir of the world, a co-heir with Christ. And then I found myself doing it with the Powerball. And I'm like, oh, this, there is something evil in me. So, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, yeah, there's a lot of good that I could do. And, um... Yeah, we'd, we'd build churches and we'd be able to send missionaries, like all the stuff. We could do all of the stuff. Here's, here's, here would be my pushback for you, Josh. Somebody's going to win it. Wouldn't you rather have some say in putting that money to use in the kingdom of God? Like, 
Somebody's going to win it. Now, is there an opportunity that it takes us down? For sure. Like we have to, I was trying to figure out how would I, what kind of systems do you set up for yourself to, I <laughs> to my life group. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I wouldn't buy a new house, but I'd get new carpet. Like if I had 1.9 billion, I wouldn't buy, I, my <laughs> house is fine. I'd get new carpet. I'd do that. That'd be, that'd be something I'd do. Um, but Somebody's going to win it. Like it's going to be used for something. Like, is there a way? Problem is, I got. I would have to quit my job. Like, there would be no way that I would be able to do my job if I had one point nine billion dollars. Like, nobody would listen to me. Nobody take me seriously. If I'm talking about suffering with one point nine billion dollars, nobody's going to listen to that. And so, I. I and then you just get bombarded by every Tom, Dick, and Harry that wants something. And so your life is just overwhelmed. And I, I don't think in Arizona you can claim it maybe anonymously. Some, anonymous. I yes. don't think you can, but you can set up a trust. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think there's something to that idea of like, again, we're getting into the weeds on this like completely fake thing that we're, yes, we're that's not going to so happen. It's not going to happen. But like, I, I would have to, I would have to set up some sort of LLC, some sort of, overarching organization that actually owns that money. Yeah. And I would have to have a board of people that I trust. For sure. Like there is no way, because that's like what you're saying, Josh, is I do not trust myself with that sum of money. And I agree with you. I do not trust myself. And I don't want that for my kids. I don't want my kids walking into life with a hundred million dollars at their disposal. Like that's setting them up for Again, I just look at, there's no picture. I'm not saying no picture. The only one I can think of is maybe Sam Walton. Had a crazy amount of money. Again, I don't know what his personal life is, but he drove an old beat-up pickup truck and wore overalls. Yeah. But there's not a lot of people I know that we see that have a lot of money and the absorbent amount of problems that come with that. Like, in my mind, it just adds into the bad. Again, I'm not saying that we couldn't do some things with it because I think we could. But we can also do some things right now with what we already have, and I don't need to be tested with that really, really bad dangerous amount of money. And two, again, man, I've just worked just personally in and around poverty so much. And typically the people who are playing the lottery are those who believe it could change their life and believe all these things. And it they're just the $20 here, $50 here, $100 here. Man, I was just behind a lady at the grocery store the other day turning in her uh, scratch-offs. You know, it's 100 bucks or whatever. And she thought the lady was wrong. And even though it was done on a a machine and I was like, I told myself, I said, she's going to go play all that back. Every bit of it. And she did. She went and fed all that hundred dollars back into the machine because it's never enough. Right? Like that's the piece of it. Again, I worked in Vegas for a little bit um, at a gas station that had slot machines, saw people literally, man, when thousands of dollars, and by the time it took to get people to bring their money, they had played it all back. Mm-hmm. So, like, for me, I just know there's just it, – it doesn't bring about any good, again, in my mind, just because I've seen the evils of it. And even in my own family, right, the, the things of addiction. I just – it's just dangerous. So, you guys can have it. Enjoy. Play that lottery. <laughs> Go for it, boys. You, we could put a little pot together. I don't know what you're going to do. I just <laughs> – it ends badly. But, Brendan, it, I, again, I think that it's smart to go, oh, I should probably set up a board. But how crazy. Like, buying to. a sports team would be so cool. It and we can't even buy a sports team. You well, you can't buy the Suns. I'm sure you could buy uh, – you could probably Diamond buy Bats. OKC, right? You think you could buy OKC with uh, with $1.9 million? Think we could buy the Diamondbacks? <laughs> they seem like a pretty – Yeah, I feel like I should be – maybe the Bulls. I could probably buy the Bulls with $1.9 I don't know, million. Man. Yeah, it's an expensive team. but hey, Derek Jeter – couldn't even buy a team. So yeah. I think we're probably stuck. The uh, But you could become a minority owner or even maybe with a billion dollars, but the again, majority. So if think through that. The guy bought you buy that team $2 billion. You didn't have to still pay payroll and yes. do all that. Yeah. So you got to have more than that much oh, money. for sure. Yeah, yeah. right, you can't right. Go- Yes. So you're broke. Yeah. How we pay, how we pay Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton? Sorry, guys. No contract extension. I'm probably not paying either of those guys. Anyway, so. <laughs> not for more than two all more I'm years. Saying, that's all okay, we got. Let's bring it back. Okay. The 1.9 billion dollars. Like I, I'm okay. You go play the thing and tithe on your winnings. That's all I'm saying. We got a church to build. The kingdom needs to expand. If you win the thing. 
Like, just make sure you're honoring God with it. So yeah. just be a be a funnel. Don't right. I love Andy Stanley's line that greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Hmm. Like, if it comes to me, it must be for me. And I don't believe that. So if I give $1.9 billion, there's a lot of kingdom good that we could do in the world. And we just need somebody to help hold us accountable to go do that thing. Mm-hmm. Like, not buy my own private island in the Maldives. So that's the issue. So I tithe on your money. We got a church to build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, you might, you might not go buy your own island, but you could probably go visit one. Oh, I bet you a could lot. buy one. Slippery slope. Like a lot. You could do just. <laughs> I bet you could buy one. And you're not getting 1.9, right? What'd you say, Brendan? Right. It's, it's really. Well, it depends. Do you take the cash option or the. See, that's yeah, a funner question for me. You, that, <laughs> that's more fun. I don't even want it, but that would be like financially what is more beneficial. Well, and it's oh, a stewardship you, question, right? Do you want to steward the money or do you want the state to steward the money for you? Yeah. No, I'm, you got to take that. You not, don't take the cash. Don't take the cash. Not on this, not this big. Like you want it for 40 years. Because again, yeah. the people who get so the you, cash so what option you're saying, are Jason, broke in five years. So what you're saying, Jason, is you would rather entrust the state to steward that money for you rather no, than taking it yourself and stewarding it Biblically yourself. That's a dangerous. Investing. That's a dangerous. We can go there. Oh, no, it's dangerous. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's a whole nother. Okay. Word. Brendan. All right. Part, oh, part two next week. That is that is an open up of a whole nother. But I yeah, like that. I like that conversation. See, that's what I'm thinking. This is more valuable to me to go in the long run. What are you? What is the benefits of the lump sum or the, hey, man, for the rest of my life? I get X amount, but does it, again, I'd have to know a lot of answers. Like when I die, does it go away? Does, does it go do to I, your kids? Does it yeah. get to go to my kids? Sure. Like, do I just croak over dead? Cause I got so much money. I have a heart attack and then nobody gets like, it seems right. cause my wife gets stressed some? out. Yeah. And- you got ulcers. <laughs> you just, <laughs> you, but you got your alligator tank in your living room in your house and then they ate you. And now nobody gets to pay for them. Look, man, I, in Louisiana, I had the privilege of hanging out with some oilfield guys. And you did West Texas. Yes. So you know. And they talked about drinking Don Perignon out of uh, cowboy boots when oil fields are really good. But then that money dries up real quick. Yes. And you got to sell the second homes, right? Yeah. So like that was always my perspective of these guys is like, yeah, man. But it goes away real fast. Yeah. So it's fun while it lasts. But in their mind, they're always like, oh, it's always going to go away. Yeah. So I was like, hmm. I thought it was just like a room. No, like they really did that. They had so much extra money. They were like, ah, oil feels real good. We're drinking champagne out of cowboy boots. When it goes <laughs> from $125 a barrel down to $40 a barrel, that's a huge yeah. issue. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Well, that was fun. That <laughs> was. Ties on your, your Powerball, people. Uh, so let's dig in. This past Sunday, we were in, uh, we kicked off Romans chapter five, uh, verse one through five. Jason, I thought you did, did a good job there. And really, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about this idea of suffering. So we'll, we'll spend a little bit more time on that today. But before we dig in there, uh, anything that stood out to you guys, Josh, was there anything specific that stood out from this, uh, this Sunday's message? Oh, man. You know, definitely agree. It was a, a great one. Romans 5, we're starting to get into some really good stuff. Um, not that Romans one through four hasn't been really good too, but I think more people are probably familiar with Romans five. There's a lot of really known verses, that kind of stuff. Yeah, not many people love the book of Romans for chapter two. Yeah, that is <laughs> some very people true. love it for chapter five. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Yeah, one through five is just you know so beefy and meaty. Um, you know, as as he was talking, I mean, I know we're going to talk about suffering, but my mind, I thought, man, how many people are sitting in? our chairs going through something mm-hmm. right now. Like I, it just is such a, such a reality of life, right? There, there is a good majority of people. And so I'm always super grateful when we touch on these things, but we give people hope. Like we speak to the pain and the hurt in their lives, but we did a great job of offering hope hope to people who are in the midst of that. And um, and so that's what kept rattling around in my mind. And I was able to host this weekend in PV. And that was my takeaway. Like I knew that there were people in the room who just are listening to Jason speak going, I am right there. 
I am in the midst of this. And they may have walked in going, I'm ready to quit. I am ready to throw in the towel. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that was a message of hope to go, hey, just, just keep going. It is worth it. These are the benefits because you do have faith in Jesus. So the way you close was super helpful, I think. Hey, you get all of these things. They are promised to us, so. Yeah, that's good. And that, I mean, for me too, and we're going to get into this a, a lot more next week, but there was this, uh, you and I, Josh, both used our memory verse for this Sunday as a part of our communion yeah. meditations. You were in PV, I was in Prescott. I didn't read yours, but I'm sure it was probably pretty similar, right? Yeah, I would uh, guess. So in that text is Romans 5, 8, that, that memory verse. And I really do challenge, like if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, like spend some time just reading that text over and over. Because I know as I did over the... Well, when I was prepping for this Sunday, it was just this really sobering and encouraging reminder um, that, right, God demonstrates his his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like that's said and done. There's always this, we have this natural pull with our circumstances, right? Where it's like, hey, no matter what we're going through, we're all going through something. most, Most of us are going in this moment through something or just, out of it. Maybe we're just approaching a season that's going to be really challenging, but it was this great, you know, reminder. Um, the, if we're going to look at our circumstances to, to try to understand God's love for us, like we are going to be hopeless. We're going to, it's going to fail time and time again, but it's not in our circumstances that we see God's love. It's in his actions, right? He already sent Jesus to the cross for us. So, um, yeah, I, was kind of that was swimming around my yeah. head all morning yesterday, even within the context of this suffering thing. And again, we're going to get way more into that next week, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Jason. Anything that was uh, uh, a standout for you? Um, obviously, yeah, the suffering piece is the piece that everybody walked away with. I think, uh, to go to the front end of the message, hmm. just trying to help people again, I feel like part of the the job that I have is to some kind, sometimes kind of push back against the narrative. Like sometimes we tend to swing the pendulum in, in one direction so far. And I feel like sometimes I got to push the pendulum back. And so that's where I got a little heavy with the, no, no, no. We were all enemies of God. We're not his friend. We don't start there. And, and so that piece I think is so important because we lose the value of the text that says we have peace with God. And like that doesn't do anything for us because we don't imagine what it's not like to have peace. And so I think that as I was writing the message, that became such an important part of the the text for me is to try to help people feel the weight of you didn't always have peace with God. And I think that's an important thing. And so, um, yeah, the suffering part's big. But man, just the fact that we have peace with God through Jesus, uh, I just don't think we understand that enough. Yeah. And we have a really good listener question specifically about that topic that we'll cover uh, in a few minutes. So hang tight if you're if you're interested in more about that. And it doesn't mean, I mean, thinking of the verse you're talking about, the Romans 5, 8, that God doesn't love us. Right. And he actually, that's the most amazing piece of this. He loved me while I was an enemy. Yeah. yeah. Like that is the part that does blow you away that when I had nothing to offer, yeah. that's, that's how much God loves us. But when I, when I do understand that I am an enemy, it does help. And the access piece, I thought you did such a great job too. Um, I was actually sitting next to my wife and for her, she was like, oh, it was like a light bulb moment. She was like, man, I never put those together. When you put the Luke verse up yeah. on the screen, yeah. like something clicked in her mind. So you've been going to church forever yeah. again. And she was just in that moment like, man, whoa, like such a big picture. She knew all the stories, but yeah. for the first time, it kind of connected the dots for her, right? Seeing that in Luke or Matthew, which, which one did you use, Luke or Matthew? I think I used yeah. Matthew. But. but seeing that and then understanding that you know, we have access. I always thought too of, um, I don't know if it's true, but I always, I always heard that the high priest, they like... I always imagine somebody said that they would tie a rope around his foot yes, because if he goes down, down, yeah, yeah uh-huh. if he goes down, like they ain't going in there. You gotta get down there. You're dragging him out. Like yeah. so, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm like, that's how big a deal this was. Yeah. That they were terrified to walk into that, and we we don't even like my uh, seven year old comes out the other day of the bathroom. and goes, I was praying. I was praying in the bathroom, Daddy, while I was taking a shower. Tell him I want that. And I'm like, yeah, because you can. 
Yeah, yeah right. And he doesn't know any different. Like mm-hmm. he's not even. That's all he knows. Yeah. And I'm like, man. So that's such a big piece of like, and we do have access to the Father because of what Jesus has done. And I thought, even just talking about, I know you went in great depth, but like they, the the curtain is so thick, you don't even want to accidentally go in. Yeah, such a beautiful picture. Hopefully, people, again, just as much as the peace with God, understood that aspect of what Paul is saying. And think about Paul. We we put Paul on this pedestal as you know he's an apostle and. Yet he never went into the Holy of Holies. He never experienced the presence and the Spirit of God until after the death of Jesus. He was a Jewish man, went to the temple, offered the sacrifice. He did all the stuff and never once got to go into the Holy of Holies. He never had access into his uh, into the room with the Spirit of God until the death of Jesus. So, yeah, it's a big deal. And again, your kids will take it for granted because they yeah. didn't have, they've never experienced anything yeah. else. But for Paul, when he's saying, we now have access, like I have now been in the very presence of God where I come from a hair. It never happened. That was never an option for Paul until the death of Jesus. Which I imagine the pushback he would have got for that would have been more than the pushback we're giving for things. Like he says things now because in our culture, we're like, wait a minute, that seems crazy, Paul. Yeah. I bet he said that. And there were Jewish people like, yeah. that's, you're lying. Yeah. Like, because uh-huh. I've read the Old Testament stories of guys who accidentally went to grab the Ark of the Covenant when it was like falling on yeah. and they dropped dead. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, that's, man, that seems kind of harsh. Yeah. They were just trying to make sure it didn't fall on the ground. Yeah. And it was like, no, don't touch it. Yeah. Only these guys, and they're touching it with long poles. It's like, mm-hmm. stay away. Mm-hmm. Just that holy reverence that they had for just the Ark of the Covenant. Yep. Because yeah. God was going to rest there. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I'm sure he said that in Romans, and they were like, "You're that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. So let's dig into this idea of suffering just a little bit more. And I want to talk about it specifically within this context of kind of these types of suffering that that we see and experience. And I, ha- I had two on the list. There might be a third, but maybe we can wrestle through that a little bit. But um, the first is like this idea of consequential suffering, right? Suffering because I'm sinning, like suffering because of my own actions. Second is this idea of innate suffering, like the suffering in our world that was created by the fall of man, by sin in our world. And then I wonder if we could talk a little bit too about this idea of like a divine suffering, a purposed suffering in our life. Um, and whether or not that's that's distinctive, right? A suffering that is given to us intentionally. You can think of it as Paul's thorn in the flesh, right? Mm-hmm. Something that is is actually like just a sanctifying work from the Father in our life. So go ahead, Jason. Yeah. I would just throw one more option in there. And I think you, you kind of put it in with that, um, your second one there. But obviously there's the suffering of our sin. I do something stupid and I bear the consequences. But I think there's a suffering that comes... Because of other people's sin. So sure. it's the drunk driver. It's the it's the adult who molests a child. So I have to deal with the consequences of somebody else's sin. And the 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 third, the curse, the fall mm-hmm. of humanity could be that my kid has leukemia. Right. It wasn't their sin. It wasn't anybody else's sin. It's just that the world is cursed. Sure. And, and a forest fire happens, and it burns down a neighborhood, and three people die, right? So that's just suffering that happens because the world is cursed. And then I think, yeah, there is that last one, which is the divine. Yeah. So for me, in my mind, there's there's those four distinctives. I think for me, it's, so I'm faced with suffering, and I go, okay, why? Um, why as in, like, can I identify the reason behind it? So if it is the first one, the consequences of my sin. Well, then I have a response and it is, I am called to repent and confess and I am called to deal with what God has laid before me. Not that God can't use the suffering that I'm going to experience, but I definitely have to go, okay, is this is this my issue? Am I responsible for this? Yeah. And then if it's any of the other three, right, that we're not responsible for, really it then becomes our response, right? And we talk a lot about the theology of suffering and trying to, uh, obviously CTO is big about this. Um, if you've walked through it, you kind of have the understanding because we all are going to experience suffering. Like it's, it's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. If we live long enough, at some point you're going to go through some of it, some more than others. But I really think it, it's based off of my response, but I got to first acknowledge and just go, okay, why is this happening 
to me? Is it just the hand I've been dealt? Okay. So now what's my response? Mm -hmm. Or again, is it, no, I've done something sinful and God is shouting at me to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And so I I need to kind of do that. So. And I think that's really good. And so why is that in, why is it important to try to ask that question and recognize? And I think you just hit it on the head. It's our response is like a little bit different, right? Mm -hmm. If it's, if it's my own sin, my response is right. Okay. Confess, right. It's confess and repent and ask for forgiveness, do all of those things, try to reconcile the relationships that were affected by that sin. I think when we get this sideways, right. There's like the, the example that I always think about, right. Um, if we, if we're trying to, uh, push our, our thoughts or opinions on a friend and we hurt their feelings and we're pushy and whatever, but, but we consider it like, Oh, they're, they're now mad at me as a result of like, this is just a persecution. No, you're just being a jack wagon. And it's actually your sin and it's negatively affecting this person. So your response isn't just, oh, I'm just being persecuted for my beliefs. No, your response is like, confess. You're being a jack wagon. Stop yeah. doing that. Confess and repent. And then maybe you can reconcile that relationship. So it is really like it changes mm-hmm. the way that we respond to these situations. Like it is really important to stop and ask that question. Hey, what's going on here? Is this something that I have contributed to or someone in my life is contributing to? Or again, on the flip side, whether it's it's divine or just a, a result of the fall of man, like how is this shaping me? As I approach this really hard season or this, this challenge in my life, if I were to look five years down the road, what, how will my life better reflect Jesus as a result of this? So I, I think that is really important. I think the answer to is there divine suffering, um, I don't think you could say biblically that there's not. Uh, let me get, I, I can immediately think of four instances. Okay, so let me just rattle them off here real quick. I think about the the man, the I think it was the blind man that that the disciples came up and said, "Hey, is this man suffering because of his sin or his parents?" And Jesus said, "Neither." But this is this happened so that the glory of God may be revealed. And and then Jesus healed. I can was he blind or lame? I can't remember. He's was, blind. Yeah, John nine. Yeah, so he. Jesus emphatically says it wasn't his sin and it wasn't his parents' sin. It wasn't, wasn't sin at all. This is actually something to reveal the glory of God. So there's, there's one instance that we know of that. Uh, you mentioned Paul, and we go to that text where it talks about Paul's thorn in the flesh. And we talked about this a little bit in staff meeting a couple of weeks ago, that that, that thorn in the flesh is said, uh, Paul says, God gave me this this thing that tormented me from the devil, like this messenger of Satan was sent to me to torment me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Like the goal of that thorn in the flesh was Paul's sanctification to keep him from being conceited because of the things that he had experienced, the glories that he had experienced in Jesus. So it was sent by God. And and so Paul says, will you take it away? And God says, nope, my grace is sufficient for you. It was a part of the sanctification process for Paul. I think about 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul writes, "Um, hey, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. So he's telling this church, hey, we went through some really bad stuff. And think about uh, what he went through in Philippi, where he got arrested and beaten and jailed and all of that thrown in the stocks that happened in Asia. He says, I don't want you guys to be ignorant of that. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. Pause. I always look at this text and I tell people, this one verse is the reason you got to stop saying God will never give you more than you can handle. Like that is so dumb. It is not true. God will give you more than you can handle. Paul writes it right here. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. We could not handle it. In fact, he says, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we had felt the sentence of death. It was far beyond our ability to endure. God gave Paul more than he could handle. And then he says, but here's why. But this happened. All of those bad things happened. That trouble happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Like God put this weight on them purposely so that they would have to rely on God. I always tell people, if God would never give you more than you could handle, then why would you ever need God? We need God 
because we have more than we can handle, but it's not more than he can handle. And so that's what this text. So there's a third, and here's the fourth instance where I would say suffering is divine by God, the cross, right? Jesus suffered greatly and it had divine purposes. And the disciples didn't see it in the moment. They figured it out later. They didn't understand it. Jesus understood it. They did not. So is there divine suffering? Yes, that there's oftentimes God. Now the question becomes, do we know the difference between this just happened because we live in a fallen world and Mm. this is happening because God has divine intention in it? And I think that's where we get ourselves into trouble is because oftentimes this side of eternity, we can't tell the difference. And when we try to label that on somebody else's life or even label it in our own life, we actually do more harm than good for people. If we tell somebody, hey, the reason you got that cancer is because God's trying to do something great. Or it could be that you live near a power plant that was putting toxics in uh, to- toxins in the water, and that's why you got it. It wasn't that God wanted to do something. Can God use it? Yes. But to uh, try to apply purpose to it in the moment, I think could be really dangerous. Yeah, and I think that's because by like our human nature is to try to figure out the reason, like why is this happening? That's yeah. all our, always our question. We want to diagnose the purpose when actually I'm not sure that that's even helpful to begin with, right? Unless we have like this very clear, and we talked about this maybe last week or the week before this, you know, very clear word from God saying, this is going to happen to you and I have a purpose for it, right? Outside of that very, very specific situation, is it even helpful to try to ask the the why when it comes to those two categories specifically, right? Is God doing this to me for a purpose or is this happening to me? Because in both scenarios, like there is a, like it is purpose driven, mm-hmm. right? Because even if I live downstream from a toxic plant and I have cancer now, like I'm, I have a choice to make in my suffering through that. Am I going to suffer well? Mm-hmm. Am I going to suffer with eternity in mind, or am I going to suffer poorly? And if God gives me cancer out of the blue, am I going to suffer? Like it's the same mm-hmm. decision that we have to make. So I'm, I'm with you. I don't know that it's even really that important to dig into the, oh, why is this within those two categories? Yep. I think between this and the um, consequential suffering, I think it is very important yes. to dig into. So that's yeah. why I, I wonder, right? Like anytime we experience suffering and maybe it's my own personal bent, but I always start with what have I done? Yep. Like that's that's where I start. And if I can't come up with anything, mm-hmm. if it's like, I don't know that I'm contributing to this directly, then it's like, okay, now, how am I going to approach it, mm-hmm. right? What's going on and how am I going to grow closer to Jesus through it? Yeah, no, I agree. That's what I was going to say, that we don't need the why after we figure out it wasn't us. Yeah. Because then I don't know. I always think of, so I think a couple of things. So I think of Job. Yeah, um, me too. And so everybody loves the first couple of chapters, last couple of chapters of Job, but the money or the meat of Job is in the middle because it's three friends trying to go, Job, you've done something wrong. Surely you've not, Counted for your sin, the sin of your family. You have made a mistake. It's all on you, Job, right? And Job's like, actually, man, I haven't. Job was blameless, which is incredible when you think through it and you look at his life. And then there's the character, Elihu, who shows up for like five chapters, right after chapter 32. And he's not in the beginning. He's not in the end. He just pops up. He's not in the end of the story. And he just talks about, hey, man, I think actually all of us are missing the point. This doesn't have anything to do with Job. This doesn't actually have anything to do with you. This is just all about who God is and the character and the overall understanding of who God is. And so, like, for me, it helps frame suffering in God is sovereign, and that's how it is. He gives and takes away There's a passage in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32, that talks about this. Like, there's no other gods like him. No other gods can do the things that our God can do, and that means good and bad. And so part of some of the suffering piece is, like, I just have to be okay that God is on the throne. And for me, that's the story of Job. The story of Job is that Satan is looking around. He wants to test Job. We know all of that. But then it's in this moment, this back and forth, that, and then God shows up. And he's like, man, you, you just actually don't even understand. This is a lot bigger than even you get. This is more about me. And it's not about anything you've done because sometimes our suffering is, again, it's not about what we've done. 
Job hadn't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. He just experienced, and it was, do you just keep, and his, and his wife, right, in chapter two, curse God and die. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that thing. And so for me, when I look at suffering, that's what it is. And then there's the second piece of suffering, right? As believers, our ability to share our sufferings with others redeems the suffering a little bit more each time. Every time I share my story of pain in the midst of other believers, God redeems that story. It does not minimize the pain. Thinking through so many conversations with people, people lose kids and loved ones. Um, chatting with a guy a couple months ago, first time I meet him, he shares the story of losing his son at six years old. And he's tears in his eyes. It's been eight years, six, eight years. That pain is still very real. But the hope that I got from that story, because he was willing to share that pain and that suffering with me made my faith stronger that day. So there's something collectively too when we experience suffering amongst one another and we share that, that reminds me, okay, I, I can get through. Because that was the biggest piece of yesterday was like, don't quit. Like that's what Jason tried to frame up for us in a way like no matter why the suffering is coming your way, your response is to endure. Mm-hmm. And when I am able to share that or when others are able to share that with me, Man, God redeems that in such a way, man. I think that's some of the purpose behind it. Let's think about one last response before we jump off of this topic. You know, we talked about, hey, if it's God's divine something suffering in my life or the culture just living life in a fallen world, that's suffering and those two are real. The why doesn't really help and we don't, it's just how do we respond The answer is we respond in faith. We're going to keep being obedient and follow Jesus. We already talked about the response. When I've realized, oh, no, I'm contributing to this. Like, this Mm -hmm. is my fault. My marriage is falling apart. I'm suffering in this because I've done something stupid, and I, my response is to confess and repent. There is a response for when people sin against us that is really important, too, Mm -hmm. and that is the forgiveness piece. Like, we, that... We will have people every day for the rest of our life who sin against us, and we have a response to that kind of suffering, and that is we are called to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. And I see so many people um, elongate their suffering or exacerbate their suffering because they refuse to forgive when people sin against them. So they add to the suffering by their own sinfulness. So you sin against me, and then I harbor bitterness against you, and it just makes the suffering worse. So we have a response. In Jesus, we forgive those who have sinned against us and have caused suffering in our life. And so God has called us to forgive. We can't can't just blame that other person and sit in our bitterness and expect that we're going to be okay in the end. No, no, no. We have to forgive them as Christ has forgiven us. So I want to make sure that we throw that piece in there. Yes, confess and repent when we sin and we forgive as Christ forgives us when others sin against us. And doesn't take away the pain, doesn't no. take away the hurt. None of us are in here saying that if you mm-hmm. do that, we're we're deminimizing what you've experienced. Not at all. Right. And in fact, we're actually helping you own that a little bit more and then go, okay. I do believe God can use this for his good. That's the piece that we have to, as believers, lock into. And again, this is the unique piece that no other religion talks about suffering. It's actually all we want the good things. So mm-hmm. Christianity is so unique in that, right? Yeah. No other religion is talking about it. you're going to suffer, but it's it's for your glory and for yeah. your good. We have everything else that speaks to the opposite of that. And so, again, we realize, man, that pain— for some of you, it's still very real. You've lost loved ones. You've had bad things happen. And it's in the midst of that pain, you sharing that with others that, man, I see the redemption of what God is doing. And that's the Romans 8.28. God works together for the good of for all those who, who love him, right? And that's just an incredible picture. And so there is something about our walk and suffering that we do have to have a theology of it because we are going to experience so much of it. Yeah, 100%. It is a... a um a theme throughout the course of the gospels even. Yeah. So 
let's okay. So one question that came up on Sunday around this idea of suffering, and then we'll kind of jump from this suffering topic to one or two others that we have um, throughout this text. Here's a question, right? Um, we had someone come up and and ask, "Hey, I'm I'm a retiree. I live in Prescott, Arizona. I'm not suffering." What am I? Am I doing something wrong? What's what's happening? Like I want to make sure that I'm not doing something wrong in this. Yeah, which is a great question. I mean, I love. I just loved the fact that we had somebody in our church who walked out with that instead of walking out saying, "Whoo, these people are in trouble. My life is great." They was like, "Oh no, what what should I be suffering more than I am? Because I look at my life and things are good." And so again, I'm so grateful for this question. I think. The reality is, I know the person who asked me this question. I think the reality is there's suffering that has happened there um, that that maybe they're minimizing. And what I mean by that is the more we mature in Jesus, the, m- the more we see our suffering um, as a just a part of our walk. And so I think about Paul and the things that he went to. He almost seemed to minimize, like, he said, uh, now I've just blanked on the scripture. It just popped in my head and floated away. Where he talks about um, the things that I've endured pale into comparison into the glory that is to come. Somebody Google that one up. Where he talks about this idea that the stuff that we suffer in this life, it pales in comparison to the glories that are to come. And so he looks at his suffering and says, it's really nothing. It's like they don't even compare to the glory. So he doesn't see the suffering as real suffering. Like this is nothing. It's nothing. We're going to look back on this stuff and it's nothing. And I think the more we get, uh, the closer we get to Jesus, the, the more that we're going to have that kind of attitude. Um, Romans eight eighteen. Yeah. So what it says is I consider our present suffering is not worthy of comparing to the glory that we will be, or that will be revealed to us. Romans Perfect. 8, 8, That's 8, it. And so those I think that's part of what this guy's coming from. He's like, I think there's suffering that's happening in his life, but he's laying that suffering against the glories of Jesus. And it just pales in comparison. So the closer we get to Jesus, I think the smaller our sufferings seem to get for us. I mean, many of you have probably met someone who's going through something horrific and you look at their life and say, I could never do that. But they are joyful in the midst of it. And it's like, how does that happen? I go through half of what they're going through and it destroys me. And they're walking through it and it's like, nope, we're just trusting God in the midst of this. And it is so amazing to see that. And I think it's because they're laying their suffering against the backdrop of God's glory. Mm-hmm. And the more we do that, the I think the smaller our suffering becomes in this life. For me, I, so our family right now is going through a bit of suffering. Um, my father-in-law um, had a stroke a few weeks back, probably a couple months now. He's just not doing great. He's kind of close to the end. Um, and I think about him, and I think about, like, he's just served the church for 30-some years as a Sunday school teacher, first and second grade kids. And so so I think about his life and his faith, and he is very much okay with, like, hey, I'm I'm dying, but it's all right. But then I, I look at my boys because they're really close to him, and I have an opportunity to teach them, hey, this is, this is the life that we as believers endure. So we were talking last night, and they were like, man, God's going to heal them. And I was like, maybe, but it may not be this side of heaven, right? And like we have this opportunity in our suffering to see these kinds of moments and to go, I'm not destroyed by them, right? Like we can ignore it as parents and not talk about it and hide away. I I know so many parents who do that. Or in this moment, I'm looking at these three little boys going, hey, we have an opportunity to talk about how good God is even in the midst of this so that when they become my age, suffering is, we do have a better picture of it. Like you said, it's minimized in the like, man, Papa is going to go be with God in heaven. And they are like, whoa, like and so like even those little pictures of it is just so incredible to see but man when i was their age i wouldn't have had that and i was talking to my boys like i didn't have that concept i didn't have anyone telling me like hey but god is still so good in this so like i have a responsibility as a dad to look at them and go man i have to be able to explain this to them in a way that doesn't 
diminish the pain, but also hold, hold God up in that glory. Mm, that he yeah. is so much greater than what we are experiencing. And it's just for a moment, right? But again, it's just the hand we've been dealt in this season of life. But we have an opportunity to, to use it, again, as parents, my wife and I, for something really, really good. Yeah, yeah. I think I I do want to say, um, so again, thinking back to the guy who comes comes up to me at Pastor's Point and is asking me about, you know, I'm not suffering. We do have to recognize um, the reality that we do live in a country, in a time, in a community, and we have resources that that help us to create buffers to suffering. Like we can put ourselves behind gated communities and we can, uh, we have resources that can push some suffering at bay. We can insulate and isolate ourselves from some suffering by the way that we live our life, by isolating different people, by not putting ourselves in certain circumstances that might create some kind of hard season for us. So we, we have to admit that there is some buffer that our culture and community and resources create. Mm. And I think we have to be really careful about that. I think we do mm. have to ask ourselves, am I removing myself from suffering by ignoring the suffering of others, by not putting myself in situations Uh I feel like God's calling me to go do this hard thing, but I don't want to. And so I'm going to keep myself from it. Like we talked about foster care and foster families and you do that, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. It comes with great suffering and it would be easy to say, well, I don't want to suffer. So I'm not going to do that. And I think in that moment, that is sinful. Like to keep yourself from the suffering, keep yourself from the hard thing. I've got this friend and he's, not following Jesus. And if I try to walk that road with him, it's going to create hardship for my family. And so I just don't want to do that. And so if I'm avoiding suffering or hardship out of disobedience, like actually I feel like I should sell my home and move to Cambodia and share the gospel with my life or go to the inner city of LA but that that's too hard. So I'm going to keep myself in my gated community in Prescott and live off my retirement funds and, you know, just play bingo three times a week. If that, that's a, that's keeping yourself from suffering as an act of disobedience. And Paul never did that. He, I love the scene as he's headed toward Jerusalem and, and one of the uh, prophetesses, it was a female prophet, prophet who comes up and takes Paul's belt and wraps it around herself and almost as chains on her arms and says, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt. And so they try to persuade Paul, don't go, don't go. They're going to throw you in jail. They're going to lock you up. And Paul says, no, no, no. I get that. Everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit tells me this bad, this stuff is going to happen, but I can't disobey. I got to go because this is what I've been called to do. So I just, I think the heart of the question is great. Are we keeping ourselves from suffering in a selfish way? Are we being disobedient because we want to uh, uh, put a buffer between ourselves and hard situations? And if that's the case, then we're going to have something that we have to answer for before the Lord. So I can't answer that for anybody. We all have to wrestle with that ourselves. But no doubt there is some suffering that God has called us to. Take care of widows and orphans. You know what that's going to require? hardship, sufferings, endurance, and we have to be willing to do that. Um, so it is a great question for us to wrestle with. Are, are, is your life so predicated on comfort that you are actually missing out on the suffering that God's calling you to? That's, and that's the direction my mind immediately went to when you asked that question or when, when you shared that question. It was, hey, our obedience will cause suffering in very specific areas, right? We all know people that are engaged in foster care and adoption and they wake up hating their life, right? Like that is something that, that we've experienced. We've had those conversations. We have friends that are, are engaged in that. But again, it's because it's the fruit of their obedience and it is a holy experience that they're, that they're walking through. 
Um, and yeah, to your point, I mean, yeah, we, we have opportunities, right? Like if you feel like your life might be getting a little safe and a little boring, come chat with us. We have opportunities to engage you uh, in, in the vulnerable within our community or engage you within missions or engage you within these opportunities that, and w- the language that I always use is like surrender living, right? It's just the, when we are dying to self and living on mission for Christ, like there will be uh, a sense of suffering that we're going to experience in the midst of that. However, the perspective is eternal, right? So even though we're suffering, like it is going to feel very hard if we can try to keep that eternal perspective of, oh, this is what I'm called to be doing. It's not useless, right? It's not just a useless day after day suffering. It is it is filled with purpose. So here's, uh, I want to shift gears just a little bit. Um, and we've got two questions. So one's from this week, one is from last Sunday, but I think kind of applies to some of our our text from this week. So I'm going to start there. And the question is this, uh, it's talking about becoming an heir, right? So here's the question. Becoming an heir, since becoming an heir is not dependent on obedience, but happens through faith, can our uh, inheritance be removed for disobedience after we have been counted as righteous? That is a great question. And I do think we did touch a little bit on that this week. And so uh, really appreciate that question coming in. And yes, we talked last week, we are an heir, not because of following the law. The promise came to Abraham that he and his offspring would be heirs of the world by faith, not by their works. And so that is 100%. And so what I would say is that, no, I don't think we can disobey. Let me make sure I try to clarify this correctly. It is not through a moment of disobedience, not through a moment of disobedience that we lose becoming an heir, okay? Again, we talked about this with Abraham. Like, his faith was not perfect. He messed up. He disobeyed. He trusted in himself himself at times, even in his own story, but the promise still held true. Here's, here's what I would say. The, the concern through scripture is not about a moment of disobedience. It's about the abandoning of your faith. So we talked about this, even using that text from Romans, where Paul says, look, you have to endure. You have to finish the race. You got to go to the end. You can't walk away. Even that text in Romans chapter 8 that talks about you are heir of God and co-heirs with Christ, you get his glory if you endure the suffering. Like that, you have to you have to go through the suffering to get to the glory. So, no, it's not a moment of, a, of disobedience. It's an abandoning of your faith that removes that moment of you are a co-heir with Christ. If I, if I refuse to go through the suffering, if I walk away because that gets easier— then you don't get to be a co-heir with Christ. And we get to see this all throughout Scripture. So I jotted down five of them here real quick, and there's probably more. And so I'm just going to rattle these off, and you can uh, you can do with them what you want. But this is the warning, okay, that we see all throughout Scripture. So here's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17, says this, He says, um, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenines and Felicius who have departed from the truth. So that was the issue. They left. They abandoned. They walked away. They departed from the truth. And so for them, they're done. That according to this text, like they... They are out. They departed from the truth. First Timothy chapter one. Here's another one. Flip to it. First Timothy chapter one, starting in verse 20, says this. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you can fight the battle well, holding on to the faith. You got to hold on to it. You got to cling to it. Hold on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have so suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenes and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. You got to hang on to it, Timothy. Don't let it go, or you will shipwreck your faith. And he gives us two names, Hymenes again and Alexander, and they've been handed over to Satan. Like, 
It's not a moment of disobedience. It's about an abandoning of your faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 1 says, In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and the kingdom, I give you this charge. Wait a second. No, I'm sorry. I'm in 2 Timothy. Sorry. Back up. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Sorry about that. 1 Timothy 4.10. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we've put our hope in the living God. Oh, I'm messing it up. That's not it either. Sorry, 1 Timothy 4.1. Sorry. The Spirit clearly says, here it is. The Spirit clearly says that in a later time, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. So again, it's not a moment of disobedience. It is a, they will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. They stop following Jesus and they start following deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Let me give you just one more, 2 Peter 2.21. And then again, there's more of these out here. So Paul's talking about these false teachers. He says, if they have escaped corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off in the end than they were in the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turned their backs on this sacred command. So again, it is about abandoning, departing, shipwrecking, uh, turning your back on the sacred command. It's not a moment of disobedience. We're all going to have disobedience. The issue isn't about disobedience. How do you respond to your disobedience? Are you repentant? Do you keep coming back? Uh, Every day, the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. Like we keep, it's not a moment of disobedience. Are you walking away? As Jesus said, it is those who endure to the end who will be saved. We can't walk away. We have to persevere. You got to keep going. Um, And so, no, you're not going to have a moment of disobedience that takes away your place as an heir of God. But there are those biblical examples over and over again who walk away. The clear spirit clearly says they will abandon their faith and follow after demons. Those people who had faith because they abandoned it no longer follow Jesus. They follow after demons. That's what get you into a classification where you are no longer an heir. Uh, I think of, so the guy who writes Peter, obviously Peter, has a huge blunder. It's actually in all four of the Gospels, the story of Peter saying and denying Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, here he is at the end writing about others who abandoned it completely. So he didn't. He knew what life was of a moment of disobedience. And I always think of Judas in this moment. Like he knew the same thing, walked with Jesus the same way Peter did. Obviously, Peter's a little bit more in the inner circle, but he was a disciple too. They did not not call him a disciple. He chose not to repent. Mm -hmm. And we see the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. Where Peter is faced with a moment with Jesus and there is a life of repentance, right? Both turn their back on Jesus, both of them. Like Peter three times, like, I mean, curses. And it's like, I don't know what you're talking I have no clue who this guy, I mean, all the disciples did, but all of them, there is something about when Jesus comes back, this idea of the repentance piece. Mm-hmm. There is this thing that they do get to be restored. And that is the picture, I think, of what we're trying to say is, is there will be moments in all of our faith where we are disobedient. It's For me, it's like the disobedience stack up with one another and one another and one another and one another and one another, and you just stop repenting and you stop caring and you look up and you're so far gone. It just doesn't matter. Like you don't, that's, you don't even care. You're quitting the faith. You're yeah. no long, it's mm-hmm. no longer about faith. It's not even about obedience and disobedience at, at that moment. You don't have any faith anymore. Yeah. You don't have faith that Jesus is, and so you just walk away. I'd rather do what I want rather mm-hmm. than what he wants. And so uh, it is an abandoning of the faith, not an obedience. It's not by law. It is by grace through faith. There is that faith piece that is 
expected. And so Abraham messed it up over and over again, but he never lost the faith. Mm-hmm. Peter got his faith back yeah. right in that moment yeah. on the seashore with Jesus. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. He didn't lose that piece. Um, and thus, he's an heir of God. Yeah, that's really good. So final question as we're as we're wrapping up here, and this pulls us all the way back into the beginning of your message from this past Sunday, um, talking about, you know, the natural bent or the natural uh position of being an enemy to God. Mm. Right. Here's here's the question. How can any non-believer be saved if God is not for them and he is against them? Right. If he is an enemy, if we are enemies of God, then how is it that we can be saved? That is a great question. And uh Appreciate Carrie uh, giving that to us today. That was a really good one. So uh, let's think of it this way. When we talk about God being for us or against us, I think there is a little bit of nuance that we have to think about. What is it? What do we? What do I mean? What did Jason mean when he said, <laughs> "In the moment, God is not for you. He is your adversary. He is not your advocate." What I'm talking about is when we are in our rebellion and sin. So I. Here's an analogy that I want to use, and it's not a great analogy. It's not a perfect analogy. None are, but I want to. I want to try to think of it this way. Um, my grandfather, like b- many men my age, my grandfather fought in World War II. Okay, and he was on the Pacific Front uh, in the Navy, I believe, fighting against Japan. Okay, so think about the moment when the Japanese bombers came over and blew up Pearl Harbor. In that moment, we had not been enemies of Japan. But when that happened, they became our enemy. We were, no, we were adversaries from that point. And we would say, we are not for them. We are not for Japan. I mean, they are actively fighting against us. We are not for them. And so we fight back, and ultimately, we end up dropping a couple of atomic bombs. However, in one sense, there was one thing we were for. What were we for? We were for Japan to surrender and stop fighting us. We were for Japan to repent of the bombing and to change the direction of their nation, to stop being our enemy. That's what we were for. And in the same way, I think that's what happens with us and God. God is not for us fighting against him. What he is for us is to repent, okay? And so think about 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says it this way. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the, day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, understand, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what he's for. He is for every person on the planet coming to repentance. And so, again, back to our um, USA gets Japan analogy here. We dropped the bombs on them. We weren't for them. We were actively fighting to get them to surrender. And as soon as they surrendered, we sit down and we sign a piece of paper. We sign a peace treaty with them. There was a, an act of reconciliation where we actually became allies with them. We actually ended up rebuilding their nation, which is why Japan is one of the most technological uh, advanced nations in the world is because we rebuilt their nation because we became their allies. We were for them from that moment on. And, but we, but, but we were not for them when they were fighting against us. And so in the moment when we are actively living in rebellion to God, he is not for us living in rebellion, but he is for us surrendering to him in repentance. So that's the piece that I think God is wooing all people to come and to lay down their arms and to surrender to him. But he's not, not going to be for us living in rebellion to him. Yeah, that's a, a great description. I think that, um, yeah, you're right. The, the analogy is not perfect, but it is close. Like it helps give a picture yeah. um, as to what 
what I think you were saying at the beginning of the message. So, all right. Well, I think that's that's enough for today. Anything else before we sign off here? No. Thanks for hanging in with us, guys. We yeah, still got definitely. S- I know it was a long one, but I mean, I think this is the question that so many people have. Mm-hmm. As so many people want to know, man, why why would a good God allow bad things? I mean, it's, it is just the, we try to wrap our mind around it. Like you said, Brendan, our human nature is to make sense of this. Mm-hmm. So hopefully talking it out today helped some people begin yeah. to put it in the right perspective to go. And ultimately, all of us is don't quit. Yeah. Like keep going. Like that's the whole point of your sermon is hey, this actually gives you a faith that has been tested. Yes. And like you said, a faith not tested can't be trusted. Yeah, that's good. And I would just add this again, each one of these built off of each other. You guys mentioned our our verse for November. God demonstrates his love for us. That comes right after what we talked about this week in the moment of suffering. And so we got to make sure that we're connecting the dots on this. We're going to get to come back to it and see God's heart, even in the midst of suffering, about how God pursues us. Even while we were his enemies, he pursues us. And we're going to talk about that this week. Yep. So make sure to join us on Sunday, any of the services or online. All right, guys. Thanks. Talk to you again real soon. All right. Well, thank you for hanging in there with us till the end. We know that was a longer episode, but we do believe that this is really, really important content, especially around the idea of suffering that oftentimes we can get wrong. So we wanted to make sure we did it justice as we talked about it today. As always, if you ever have any questions from Sunday's message, we hope you decide to submit them at quadcity.church/romans. There's a little spot for you right on the website to submit any questions you had from the message on Sunday. It is helpful if you send those in either Sunday after church or first thing Monday morning as we do record right around 9 a.m. on Mondays. Well, thanks again for joining us today. We hope this was an encouragement to you and we can't wait to see you real soon.